It's good to see you all and uh, great to be together this week. Uh, to be honest, it's been a, a fairly uh, heavy uh, week with all of the stuff with Josh and Lindsay and baby Josiah and would just be covet your continued prayers for uh, his life definitely uh, hanging in the balance. But I found it fitting that we're in a section of scripture that really brings us back to the origin of life, our source of life, and the, the giver of life. We're very aware of that here this morning. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, we're in chapter 2 of Genesis as we're working through the first 12 chapters here uh, this fall. And we're starting actually in verse 18, and you see the, the title that I've given this uh, uh, section of scripture, Design Instructions. I think about that, design instructions. I don't know if there's anyone here that's been burned with uh, ignoring these simple three words, these three words, uh, the simple words of some assembly required. Anybody ever been burned by that before? Here's a, a picture of uh, one of the ways I've been burned was this crazy Barbie house that I just thought like, oh, that'll, that'll be fine. You know, no problem. Some assembly, it looks like big plastic pieces that all come together. Like seven hours later at 1 a.m. before Christmas, I remember thinking, I will never buy something that requires assembly. So no more Ikea. Anybody been burned by Ikea? Like, oh, it's, it's just recommended a few hours of assembly. No, so the assembly is one of those things. Now, now here's a question for any of you ever ignore the instruction, be like, you know what? I got this. I got this. You know, I think I have a general concept of how this thing works. I can just piece it all together. It's, it's fairly uh, intuitive. And then you end up with what? Lots of leftover pieces. You end up with stuff that's crooked. You got parts. And, and you're like, what? In the, why did I wander from the initial instruction? Anyone ever have a, an argument with a, a loved one over the assembly process? Uh, not intended to be a team effort, I don't think. But uh, the reason I bring it up, and you can probably guess where I'm going with this, is really if you think about God's initial design and plan for us, we don't have the option to wander from the instructions. When we do, it leads to heartache and pain. A lot of times people have this misconception of God as trying to put all these parameters on their, their life. And yes, he is putting parameters, but it's because he designed us he has the instruction as to how life works best. We go outside of that plan, and there's heartache, there's frustration. And, and so for us, there needs to be a, a healthy and consistent coming back to his plan, coming back to his plan, staying within the bounds of what he set up. It helps us avoid so much heartache, as, especially as it relates to some of the bigger topics in life, like marriage, like sex like gender, all of these things that are pointed to in our section of Scripture this morning. Let me pray before we start to unpack that. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this chance to gather this morning and the freedom that we have to do that. We ask now that we'd be free of distraction, that you'd meet us in this time as we study your word and we come back to you as our truth source. Thank you for the invitation that you give us to stay within the plan of the designer. How do we ask even as we continue uh, to pray to keep lifting up baby Josiah, that you'd rescue him, you'd allow his lungs to develop, his chest cavity to expand, and uh, you'd be the, the healer in that situation, but at the same time we submit to your will in that. All of this we bring before you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. 
So Genesis 2.18, this is, uh, as you remember, a little backdrop. We've set the first chapter of Genesis was big picture of creation. And then second chapter in Genesis hones in or zooms in on day six of creation. And the reason why we're more interested in day six of creation is because that's the part where you and I come into existence, the creation of Adam and Eve, as we're about to see here in the text this morning. Verse 18, we see where it began with Eve. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. We'll stop there just for a second. If you think about this, it's kind of a unique statement because this is pre-cursed. This is before man had fallen, before sin had entered into the world. But our God looked at man existing by himself And this is even when there's perfect harmony and relationship between God and man, and he still came to this conclusion that we're incomplete without woman. He said, you know, without, without relationship, there, there was maybe an amen moment for uh, some, somebody in here to get some brownie points, but here's the idea that he said right out of the, the gates there, he came to that conclusion. It's not about all oh, of this perfect union with God. He wants us to live out and experience his design of a partner in life. And he says, I find it, that it's not good for man to be alone. It's incomplete on our, uh, in and of ourselves. I think if you remember the, the movie, it's maybe a little bit cheesy, but my wife likes to watch it uh, every once in a while. It's Jerry Maguire. Do you guys remember this uh, movie? And the famous words where he finally comes to this aha moment and he says to, I forget, I think her name was Dorothy, maybe something like that. But he goes in, he goes, says, you complete me. And I think, I think he's actually on to something because that is actually the, the, the reality that our God came to is that we're designed to be in relationship. That's what he made us for. And that's a bigger picture conclusion as well, that we're not designed to isolate and be on our own in a culture that's so in touch and reachable, our cell phone culture with all of these pseudo relationships were desperate for connection points. I was listening to a, a song by One Republic. Maybe you've heard of that band before, and I think it captures it well. He says, these days my waves get lost in the ocean. Seven billion swimmers, man, I'm going through the motions. Sent up a flare. I need love and devotion. Traded for some faces that I never know, notion. Can I get a connection? Can I get, can I get a connection? There's this innate need for us to connect with others. I think that's an important thing when we're trying to understand our initial design is not to isolate, but to be in relationship. God saw this as well. Verse 19, Adam recognized it. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So you see what's happening here. Creation, God had already made animals. Now he's bringing them to him. And I think it's interesting to see that our God chose to include us 
and the creative decision-making process of picking the names of animals. Like, how fun of a job would that have been? Uh, like, how cool, like, uh, that's a dodo bird, you know what I mean? Like, how, how sweet would it be to uh, identify based on characteristics with the names of animals up until that point? In Genesis 1, we saw that God named the day, day, and the night, night, and the sky, sky, land, land, seas, seas. Now he's like, you know, I'm going to pull you in as my representatives, as image bearers, I'm going to invite you into the creative process of determining the names of the animals, which is a pretty powerful experience if you think about that, that he includes us in. And really from his initial design, when we're trying to make sense out of this, was given us the freedom and privilege and responsibility to be caretakers of this earth. He's invited us to reign and rule with him. You see that in any study of heaven and what's to come, we're not just going to be playing harps in heaven on clouds. He's inviting us to reign and rule with him even in the future. We see that pointed to even in our initial design. But you imagine for Adam how many animal couples he had to see before he was like, wait a second where's mine? You know what I mean? Like, wait a second. I've seen, I've seen this connection. I've seen this connection. Where, where, when do I get my partner? When, when does that happen for me? And I think it, out of God's design and planning and forethought, he concluded that it would be best for man to come to some of the, the conclusions, wow, I need something to fill that gap in a jigsaw puzzle that I am. Well, I am lacking otherwise. In fact, if you're here with your spouse, why don't you just take a second and tell them, I was lacking without you. There's a, a movement towards uh, maybe uh, something a little bit later today, conversation But here's his initial design was Adam had to appreciate or uh, recognize his need before it would be a big deal when Eve shows up on the scene. I remember for myself in my dating years, my early 20s, I was thinking, man, it would be nice to figure out who I was going to marry. But God had that extended a little bit longer until I met sweet Canadrian. And, uh, and, and uh, our paths cr- crossed, and uh, uh, she's from Canada. Her name's Adrian. Uh, I combined those. Uh, so anyway, we... Um, uh, we met in uh, our first time interacting as she's shaking her head right now. Uh, this sounds a little bit more uh, risque than it was, but it was playing the game of Twister. And, uh, and so uh, sparks were for sure flying, and, and it was so cool to see how our God, you guys are like, that's going to need some explanation. Sorry, you're not going to get it. But anyway, <laughs> the cool thing is, is our God takes something that he's like, man, I know that's something that you're interested in. He says, I'm going to provide a solution for that. And he provided that solution perfectly. And verse 21, it says, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I have a peculiar way to approach this. You know, in Genesis 1, you're kind of like, yeah, he spoke a lot of things into existence. And this, what do we see? Kind of like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a different route on this creation piece. And what does he first do? He causes the man to fall asleep. For those of us that like naps, that's not that hard to do, right? But here he causes him to fall into a deep sleep, just a recap. And what does he do? He reaches, this is, this is kind of crazy, reaches in and takes out a rib from the man. That sounds kind of painful. So it's the first major surgery, and then he 
fixes the hole, the, the mess that he made. You know, he fixes that, takes the rib, and forms it perfectly into what we're familiar with is a woman. This was God's design. This was God's pl- plan. This is what he, he did out of the gates. He, sh- he shaped this, th- this rib. I don't know how that would have played out into what we know as a woman. Pretty beautiful picture if you think about the symbolic piece of that. that. Wait a second. He took it from the man so there'd be no confusion of thinking as himself as superior then, recognizing that she would be taken, had been taken from him. Then also the location of taking from a rib would be close to a, his heart and something that's important to him and, and, and a valued commodity. And here in this, this idea of taking a rib, which was important to him and shaping the woman, all pointed to his design and his plan for us. And he defines a, a lot of things here. He defines first off some things that our culture, I would suggest, is confused about. The first thing is that God determines gender right out of the gates, not us. That's not left up for debate. He's the one that establishes gender from the initial right out of the gates design as he determines that both male and female, God determines gender. You might think, why why are you bringing that up, Scott? Because the reason I bring that up is because in our culture, we've even wandered from that. And I would suggest I've gotten a little bit confused over who determines gender. Our own public schools have been mandated to teach that there is no distinction between boys and girls, and each child must decide for himself which they identify with most. That leads to such heartache and confusion when you go outside of God's plan. I remember not that long ago talking to a parent that was having to wrestle through, how do I explain to my son in sixth grade that his closest friend, that his best buddy is actually a girl, and he doesn't know that. It's our culture that we're in. We've wandered from outside of God's initial design, and you think about the idea of playing the role of self-God. This is definitely the pinnacle of that when we're determining gender rather than him. Gender's defined. We also see that roles are defined within the context of this husband-wife scenario. Roles are defined as well. God created both man and, wo- and woman in his image. It's clear about that in Scripture. But even though we're both equally valuable, uh, equally prized possession to our God, very different, and we've talked about this in other sermons, very different in function. God's placed that all the way right from the beginning as part of it. Here in 1 Corinthians 11.3, we've been told, and we've talked about this before, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. It's a reaffirmation of the initial design that the order of creation, even as we see there being a need, a helpmate being brought into existence, a suitable helper, and then Adam having the privileges we're about to see to actually show his authority over Eve by naming her, all pointing back to God's initial plan for this. Somewhere along the line, though, this has become offensive and demeaning to somebody. But if you think about it, that we actually reflect, we actually demonstrate 
what's been a picture of this in the Trinity from, from the very beginning. Now, Jesus is, is div- just as divine as God, as the Holy Spirit, but we still see a structure of submission that's put in place even as we reflect the Trinity. The Trinity, remember, Jesus would consistently say, it's not, not my will, but his will. I do the will of the, the Father, the one who sent me. There's, a, there's a, a structure that was put in place, and for us to wrestle against that is actually disliking God himself. It's a trust exercise to go back to his initial design. His design is for man to, to, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Remember that when we taught that not that long ago? And for the wife to submit to his authority. It's a picture and a structure of design that we are to trust him with, and it reflects the, back to the glory of God in a beautiful way. Continue in the text, and we see this introduction and how man responded. It says, Then the man said, This is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. I don't know, we were already talking this uh, morning a little bit about Christmas and looking forward to some of the things that are attached to that. My very favorite time of the year is the kind of the gift-giving piece of Christmas. Look forward to that. We often try to catch our kids off guard once they've already gotten their gifts for that day where they think that they're done getting their allotted gifts, having one more surprise for them. Anybody ever done that with your kids? Like bring out one more big one that they weren't counting on. A couple years ago, I came out with this electric scooter or actually go-kart thing that I was so excited to own, I mean, to give to them. And, uh, and so this, this gift, I remember seeing their faces and seeing and watching them have so much fun with this thing, ripping around our little cul-de-sac in the townhome community we were in. And just the, the fun of seeing their faces enjoying that gift, I can't imagine what this was like for seeing Adam's face. You know, like when he says that, he brought it to him. Oh yeah, Adam, I've got one more for you to name. Just one more. And just to be PG-13 for a second, Eve walks out and is she wearing anything? No. This was an amazing gift to Adam. This was a very big deal. This was a, this was a whoa, man, moment. This was a whoa, man, moment. He says that it was at last, or at last can be translated, all right. Like this, this was, a, this was a, a big deal, the way that God chose to introduce him. And it's interesting, you might see in your text, do you notice the way that the, that section is written? His response is kind of in italics. Whenever that's happened, that's representing, in scripture, that's representing that this is either poetry or a song. So the very first recorded words of man in all of Scripture is a song about a woman. How cool is that? Now, we've maybe grown and developed rather than saying, yeah, you're flesh of my flesh. You know, like we've developed in our ability to write things. But here out of the gates, we see that it was intended to be a gift from God. The, 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 the privilege, and somewhere, I don't know where things went wrong, somewhere along the line, there's some kind of a competition, some kind of a, 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 a tension that was created between the two as if it wandered so far from, hey, I meant for this to be a gift. I meant for the opposite sex to be a gift to each other. That's God's intent. Oh, if we could go back to that place. 
rather than seeing them as an obstacle or something to compete with or, or whatever confusion we have as it relates to the opposite sex. Remember at the end of day six when this happened, what was his conclusion? He said, man, this is, this is very good. This is very good. This is the way his intent, his design was. Verse 24, he establishes, he sets up then what this relationship is supposed to look like. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see here, this is the very institution of marriage, the very beginning of it. In fact, in Matthew 19, when Jesus references marriage, he points back to this as being the initial plan or design. Just to be clear too, and I haven't mentioned this in the passage so far, but some people it points to in 1 Corinthians how have been called to a life of, in 1 Corinthians 7, to a life of singleness. And God has a different plan for different people, very unique in that. But this was the original ordinance for his design for mankind. And we can actually pick up a lot of simple things even from this. You see it on the screen there. The very first thing is who was intended to be a part of this designed marriage. You see very specifically right out of the gates that God, God's plan in putting this in place was it for it to be a man with a woman, a man with a woman. And this is even biologically a common sense thing because we'd be otherwise one generation from extinction. Literally, this was his plan of putting a man and a woman. And the intent was that that would be how things moved forward. Now, we've wandered from that, as you know, and it's heartbreaking and it's not something to not be empathetic with. And I genuinely believe that different people have different urges and tugs and just like any other way that you're pulled towards a particular thing outside of God's plan, this is going back to his initial design and what was best, what he established. It's not my opinion. It doesn't really matter what my opinion is. It's strictly when we're going back to our truth source, this is where it begins, began with a man and a woman. And it says, the words, it says that they were called to hold fast, hold fast. The word hold fast has this picture of something being stuck to something else, kind of like skin to bone or skin to muscle, whatever you'd point to. Kind of this, this picture if you're a user of super glue. Anybody use some super glue on things in your household? This picture of when something's stuck together, it's not intended to ever be pulled apart. So that for us, for, for marriage, as he's setting it up, it's intended to be for a lifetime. Again, not my plan, not my suggestion, what God established from the get, right out of the gates. And he even goes on later to say why he hates divorce. Jesus reinforced this in Matthew 19, 6. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man separate. Why it's so important to take the decision of who you choose to commit to for a lifetime is such a big choice for those of us that are younger and still wrestling through that decision. It is a critical decision. When my wife and I meet with different couples prior to marriage, we end up having this conversation. It's a consistent one that we have. We, we talk to them about fighting fair and what that looks like. And the one word we challenge them uh, to never, ever threaten in the relationship is that word divorce. 
Because when you leave that as an option on the table, when things get difficult, guess what you're going to choose to reach for? That option, part of God's initial design, his plan for what's best, the parameters that he set, is one one couple for a lifetime, for ongoing. It's not intended to be something that's broken. And I, I can't talk about that, though, without also pointing to the fact, even knowing in a room that we're in now, that some people have struggled with this, that this is an area where God's grace and his mercy and his ability to take something that's broken and make something new and beautiful out of it still exists. I love that about our God. Design, though, was for a lifetime. Notice the words that they would, that they would hold fast, it says, to his wife. I want to ask this question, see if we notice. Is that word singular or plural? Is that word singular or plural? Singular. There you go. So it's kind of crazy. You might say, like, Pastor, why would you bring that up? Monogamous marriage was part of our plan that we would be with one spouse for a lifetime. I scroll through Netflix and I see a show called Polygamy. I'm like, where, where is our culture wandered from? And even logically, even logically, men, do you really think you need two wives? <laughs> wives, would you really want to deal with two husbands? Honestly, that's plenty just having one part of his initial design. And then lastly, wanted to point to, you see it there in the description, that they, when they came together and they were together, it says that they would leave their mother and father and they shall become one flesh. Now, if you're looking for something that has, that's uh, just covered with sexual connotation, that is that expression. In case you're wondering, in Scripture, that is consistently the description of someone that's being sexually intimate with someone else. One flesh, because part of God's design in sex is there's a knitting and a, a, a combining of two people into one. I have a, a friend that goes to church here that's, uh, uh, that's Jewish, and he was explaining to me one of the calls to worship called the Shema found in Deuteronomy 6.4. You may have heard this before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word one that's used there is the exact same word that's used here. The picture, again, of the Trinity was designed to be the picture of what happens when a man and a woman comes together. His design is for that to be within the context of marriage because there's a uniting factor there that can't happen and, and expect for it to not have damage otherwise. So often my wife and I as young adults, pastors, and working with college students in Chicago would just meet with different students that had gone outside of that boundary. And so often you'd hear the expression of, oh man, I feel, I feel like a, a piece of me was taken feel like a, a piece of me was left behind there. And it's again going back to saying, yes, because God designed that to be in the context of marriage, to unite a man and a woman to become one flesh. That's his design. All of this going back to his instructions and not our plans or ideas or suggestions. This was his initial design. It was designed to be in the part of marriage and to be a beautiful thing. Marriage was supposed to be the vehicle for unashamed intimacy. It says that they were naked and unashamed. So here, what do we 
do with this? What do we do with this section of Scripture? And I know this was a lot of like, wow, those are a lot of stances in that sermon alone. But if you think about this, this is his plan. This is his design. When we've messed up in instructions, I've noticed something when uh, building something silly like from Ikea. When you find that something looks out of whack, when there's something, a bunch of parts missing, what do you do? You start to trace back your steps. Start to go back and you're like, oh, in section 36C, I missed this particular step. For us, that's the same invitation for us when something's awry and something's broken and not working the way God designed it. Maybe it's a good cause for us to pause and be like, wow, where do I need to go back to the instructions? Where do I, I need to go back to his initial design and align myself back with his plan? That's a great and a wonderful invitation that our God has for us with this book. He's not just like, oh, shoot, you've blown it. You missed it. It's an invite to go back and correct the areas where we've wandered from his initial plan. So for us, just as I close in prayer, that's the invite maybe for us to wrestle through. Maybe it's in the context of your own marriage. You're like, oh, maybe I need to figure out what that whole uh, headship looks like, what that whole leadership structure looks like within the, the body. Maybe it's uh, maybe I've, I've wandered outside of the parameters of, of his design sexually. Maybe I'm dating someone and I know I shouldn't be sleeping with them. Maybe some of this is going back and aligning our life with his plan, it's what's best for us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together and to study your word, and we thank you that all of this is said and established with our best interest in mind. As our designer, the one that shaped us, the thought of us, that put it into play, that sustains us, that gives us life, you know what is best. God, we collectively confess that we've wandered. It's been a lack of trust as far as that goes. And my prayer is even this week, even this afternoon, as we reflect on this, there would be nudges back within the confines of your design, that we'd come back to you and initiate or take steps towards aligning our life with what's best. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And he is the rock that we cling to into the week ahead. I pray that you have an amazing week. Uh, if there's something specific we can be praying for you about, we have a couple volunteers here in the front. Otherwise, God bless you. One thing we do each month is we have a benevolent offering. If you want to give towards that, it just goes to specific needs within our church body and family here. So feel free to give to that as you're leaving today. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.